0: Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. We are going to move now to our scripture. In John chapter 17 and so would invite you to recite the passage on the screen along with me I pray not only for these but also for those who believe in me through their word may they all be one as you father are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me Before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I am so glad you're here this morning. And if you are a guest, just want to let you know that we are glad that you chose to worship with us. We are moving through a series that we've been in for the past several weeks called Fight to Flourish. And we've been considering what it means to flourish. I have said that anybody who does anything ultimately does it because they believe that it will in some way lead to their flourishing. All of us, the things that we believe, the things that we do, the decisions that we make in one way or another, we believe that it will lead to our flourishing. Now, it doesn't actually always end up that way, but that is what motivates us. And there's different visions of what flourishing means that word, as well as uh, what the actual experience is like. But the Bible, which is what we've been looking at, gives us. A vision of flourishing that we have been considering. A vision of flourishing. And the vision of flourishing that the Bible gives us is tied with a word in the Hebrew that is the word shalom. And shalom means peace, which is how we translate it throughout our Old Testament. But we've considered the fact that it means more than that. It means this wholeness, this fullness, this completeness. And so in all of this, there is a way in which flourishing is tied to uh, four relationships. And so we have this image on the screen that we've looked at. The shalom with God, with others, with creation, and with ourselves. Now last week we looked at the idea of of shalom or flourishing with God. This week we're going to look at the way that we experience this in relationship with God. Others and, and all of this comes in uh, this larger story of the gospel that we have been defining. And I, I'm, I'm tweaking my language a little bit. Uh, but it's creation, fall, rescue. So uh, I, there's a resource that's, that uses the word rescue, and I like that. It's probably more familiar to us. And then, and then ultimately restoration. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And so the gospel story is that in creation, the purpose for everything, why do you exist, why does everything exist, that God gives life and shalom. That's why we're here. That's why things exist. The fall, which is the problem, is that we take and break shalom. So we see the account of this in Genesis that humanity takes Instead of trusting in God and this shalom that God established is broken, the response to this, the rescue, is that God gives Jesus who takes all that breaks shalom. And this is he does on the cross. He takes our sin. As we sang, he takes our shame. He takes all of the things that, that break this shalom, this flourishing with God upon himself, into the grave, and then rises from the dead to begin... This final stage, which is restoration, which is what our hope is. Our hope is that God will renew creation and restore shalom. And we believe this will happen when, when Jesus returns to make all things new, the song that we sang. And so as we consider this story, I want to let you know there are a lot of alternative gospels. In, in one way or another, everybody has a story that they live in and they have a version of the gospel story that shapes how they live, shapes how they see the world. And you will be shared some of these stories today if you choose to watch the Super Bowl. Now, how many of you all actually have a team you care about in the game? Okay, Chief, there we go. We got the jersey on. Awesome, well done, Kaylee. So we've got a few Chiefs fans in the house. There were some in the first service as well. Who's, who's anybody pulling for the Eagles? couple folks, my middle son to be contrarian. All right. We got a few in the house. Anybody pulling for the chiefs? Like I know we had some hands legit pulling for, okay. Uh, how many of you all, you're going to watch it for the commercials? Anybody who's in that category? Okay. Awesome. Now there's always that element and, and the commercials are obviously billions of dollars. I mean, unbelievable amounts of money have been spent for these commercials. And what I want to, Say, is that there is a gospel that each of these commercials will be telling you, and it's this consumer story which we looked at last week that you will find. So, in this consumer story, there's the creation, which is the purpose, and and this is what the commercials would like you to believe you were created as a consumer to consume. So, that's your purpose on this earth. The fall or the problem is that you have unmet desires. And difficulties. And they will describe those to you, what your unmet desires and difficulties are. The rescue, the, the hope that, that they're providing uh, in response is that you can be rescued by what? Buying what they're selling, right? They, they just happen to have the answer to your greatest problem that they have told you about. And then the ultimate hope of restoration is that you will be happy and your problem solved. And the way this is presented is usually the end of the commercial. There's this light, stringy music playing. The light's just a certain way. There are beautiful people with smiling, laughing faces. And the message is... Did I do it? This can be you. Right? You can be these beautiful, smiley, happy people. If only you will believe the good news of... Our product and buy it. And and so this is and so just watch this. I mean, just think about it. What is the gospel that these particular advertisers are, are selling? And and how does it present this consumer story in this way? Now, Jesus ultimately shows us the the, the real purpose of flourishing and, and how we can live in relationships with one another that experienced this flourishing. And this comes in his prayer. So did you know that Jesus prayed for each of you? Jesus prayed for all Christians of all time in the passage that we just read. He did. So in, in verse 17, uh, did I jump over that? In verse 17, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, which is Who? Everybody, like the the word that Jesus gave his apostles and disciples ultimately has come to us and we believe through that. And so Jesus is praying for us. And what is it that Jesus prays? Well, specifically, he prays, may they be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so the father and the son live in this unity. The father is not the son. The son is not the father. And yet there is this unity between them. And he says, may they be in us and may they have, have this oneness. And what is the result of this oneness? What does the world believe because of that? The father really sent Jesus, right? That, that Jesus really is the son of God. And Francis Schaeffer, some of you all have heard of Francis Schaeffer, he writes about this passage. He says, This is the final apologetic. So, Francis Schaeffer was an apologist. Doesn't mean that he was really sorry all the time. (laughs) What it means is that he talked about defenses for God. He was part of a group that explained why believing in God is rational. And he says, At the end of the day, all of these arguments are small in comparison with the final apologetic. That Jesus gave which is you know what people will what will cause people to believe that there really is a God the final apologetic is the love that's visible between Christians if there's this unity in love between Christians that will be the final apologetic that will show that Jesus is real and and I believe that this is this is what we are called to do in this way and and so how do we live in these relationships that experience this unity, this oneness that Jesus prayed for us to have. Well, first, we're going to see that flourishing in relationships requires receiving others as God's image bearers. Now, in the beginning, God creates humanity in his image, male and female, in his image. And that gives every person dignity, value, worth. The problem is when we disconnect people who are part of God's creation from the creator. So if we love God and we see those who he has created in his image, what would the expectation be of how we would view them? Right? We would love them. We would see God's image, the God that we love and in these people. And that would create this response of love. The problem is that we disconnect People from their creator. And what happens when we do this is we reduce their value and we determine whether or not they're valuable based on their usefulness to who? Us. So people who are useful to us in some way, they have value. Those who are not useful or who are difficult somehow get in the way of what we want, they do not have value. And and we all do this in different ways. But we see the unfolding of this in What we've looked at the past few weeks of the the word take, the verb tape, kalah in the Hebrew, and we've looked at these passages, but I want us to consider the way we see kind of the reduction of, of the value of people into objects in this. So the two ways that we've looked at through this series to approach life, to view the world, uh, first is the way of creation which is receiving and giving and this is the way of life we receive from God as his gift and then we give back out of what God has given us the other way is the way of the world which is the way of taking and keeping and we've honed in on this word taking because Eve in Genesis 3 we read so she took some of its fruit and ate it so instead of Trusting God to provide and receiving life from him, she takes the fruit and gave some to her husband who's with her. So this verb, take, we're going to see it again. Instead of trusting and receiving from God what his design is, this taking comes in Genesis 4.19. So the next chapter of Genesis We've seen God's design for humanity. We've seen this man and woman in this relationship God's given. In Genesis 4 19, we read Lamech took, same verb, two wives for himself, one named Adah and the other named Zillah. And this is the first time we see two wives enter the scene. And why does he take them for who? For himself. So hang on to the word wife and for himself, because now we're going to jump to the other passage that we've looked at, which is the same language I've told you as Genesis 3.6 and Genesis 16.3. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, just like the fruit, Abram, as a wife for him. What we see in this is that moving from the fruit as something to be taken and kept for the self, now people become objects to be taken for who? For ourselves. And this is a problem. This is a problem we see from the beginning of of the way of the world. We view people as objects to be used for ourselves, but we see it today. And I have shared often quotes from Dallas Willard with you all in the past. One of my favorite is Willard's Quote about the definition of the word love. So Valentine's Day is coming up. Couple days guys get Valentine's Day stuff. But love is in the air and on the cards and everywhere you go. The way we use the word love, Willard says, is we say we love our spouse and we also say we love chocolate cake. And he says when we say we love chocolate cake, we don't mean that we desire its good. What do we mean when we say we love chocolate cake? We want to eat it, right? We want to eat it because we like the way it makes us feel. So it's a version of love that's based on our feelings, our desires, and serving us in that way. And yet, let's be honest. When we think about, I mean, we can see this through the scriptures, but when we think about it even in our culture today, so much that's defined as love really is about taking. It's about an objectifying of another person and using them in one way or another to meet our own needs. So what Willard says is he says, love is not desire, it is to will the good of others. We love something or someone when we promote its good for its own sake. So when I love something, the way I can know that I'm not just desiring for it to meet my appetites and desires is I really will what's good. Right? When I love my kids, I want what's best for them, what's good for them. And, and that's the way that God designed us to love one another in relationships. The truth is when relationships, and this is not just romantic relationships, all kinds of relationships where what we really just want to do is take from people in one way or another, they don't fulfill us. And we know this. These relationships, whatever kind they are, are empty. They're not satisfying because it's not how God has designed us to live in relationships that reflect who he is and the way he has designed us to love one another. Well, secondly, we're going to see that flourishing in relationships requires receiving others as God's gifts. When I do weddings, and we had a couple in the first service that I had done their wedding, I use a cheesy line and what I always say is to each of them that God gave the best wedding gift to you and that is your spouse. You know, it's, uh, it's cheesy, I know. But here's, the reason I say that is because it's true. And, and we are to receive them as a gift. Does God make junk? No, he doesn't. And he makes each person unique. And the best way for you to have a fulfilling, joyful marriage is to receive your spouse as God made them. Now, does this mean they do everything right all the time? Or they, no, it doesn't. But... But as God created them, right who they're like they're a gift to be received. It's not Plato to mold <laughs> right It's not something that's to be shaped into the way that you prefer it. It's to be received that this person is to be received as a gift from God, who they are, the way he made them and and that is the way we're to receive uh, uh, our spouse in in this relationship. In Genesis, we see that God gives the spouse, he gives this gift of marriage and this gift of one another of of relationship in this way. But what makes that difficult to receive others as a gift often are the differences. Because it's easy to get along with somebody who's just like us, who sees the world we do, likes the things that we like, but it it's difficult and, and this is what makes marriage difficult is is that men and women are different in all these different ways. And there are realities that are present there. And yet what we find is it's actually those differences that are what are necessary to do what God has called. So when we think about Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Let me just stop there. Is that possible for Adam to do on his own? It's not. He needs someone who's different than him, someone who's other than him. And so God, whose purpose is life. This is his telos, he's, he's for life, he, the way he has designed everything is to cultivate life. And so these differences are necessary to create life and to accomplish this purpose that God has, has given. And it's not just the birds and the bees, right? This call of ruling and, and subduing, it's this cultivating the creation that God has given for life in all kinds of different ways and, and leading to the flourishing of, of God's good creation. So this requires not just one person with one particular gift set and, and wiring, but a lot of differences. And, And we see this grow, not just between men and women, but this is a mandate given to all humanity. And God, as a good creator, makes people differently and he gives different abilities and gifts on purpose. And this is something that is to be received as God's good design. Now, how is it that this good design becomes so difficult? Well, sin is very simply the the reason. God's creation is good, but sin makes us selfish. And when we're selfish, that's where people's differences become problems. Because I'm selfish, and I want things to work my way. Well, now another person who somehow gets in the way of that they're not a gift, they become a problem, right? And, and this is where sin is really what corrupts this. And so what Jesus does in this redemption, in this rescue, uh, in, in the saving in all of these ways is, is he makes it possible for us to actually overcome these differences and to live in unity as we have seen. And, and this is tied with verse 22. John 17, verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. And this is a jump when we are going through John's gospel, we see, and we will be back in there eventually, but the glory of Jesus that God has given him in this particular way is, is a glory that he ties to What? cross. His hour of glory is tied to this, this hour of the cross. And this is, there's a lot here. I'm not going to unpack all of it. We did and we will, but the glory of Jesus in this unique way is tied. To, and, and I believe, so if you think about what is it, so when we come to follow Jesus, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. And so when you go into the water of baptism, What you are saying is that the old person who lived for sin and self has what? Died with Jesus. You were united with Jesus on the cross. That person is dead. And when you come out of the water, you're saying that you are raised as a new creation, this new life, who is in Christ. And guess what? You are united with who else? Everyone else who is in Christ, right? That So the differences that used to cause division and destruction in all these different ways, they now become opportunities to join together as the body of Christ, these different gifts, focused ultimately not on the self but on Jesus. Because now we're all living for him, right? This is this new life. And so this is what makes it possible for us to, to experience this unity as God designed it. And and we have to embrace this, the actual people God has put us with. So uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a, a, a classic work called Life Together on Christian community. And this is a quote that I have always resonated with. He says, every human wish and dream that is injected into the Christian community. So what is a human wish and dream? Well, that's like The ideal, the ideal people in my mind. Does that make sense? The ideal people that I want to hang out with and be friends with. Whenever we inject that into actual Christian community, it's a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Think about that. If you love your dream of the perfect, Fun, easy, beautiful, lovely people who just make your life better, and that's what you're looking for, and that's what you expect. What's gonna happen when you're with real, difficult, messy people? Are you gonna be happy? No. You're always gonna be looking at these people, comparing them with the idea in your mind, and that's what Bonhoeffer's saying. He's saying those dreams are going to destroy the actual community of the real people in front of you. And so this is where, kind of like what we were saying about marriage, I think we're called to radically embrace the real people God has put us with and say the purpose of these relationships ultimately is to make us more like Jesus. That's our goal. And will the actual relationships with these real people help Crucify the selfishness and make us more loving and self-giving and generous and gracious? They will, right? They will. And that's ultimately God's definition of of what's good for us. And so this is the calling in all these ways. We receive these people as as the real gifts that God has given us for our good. Third and, oh, our vision this year is to see 500 people commit to life with connection. And so one of the ways to do that, I've shared this, is join a community group. If you are not in a group, but you're interested in just hearing more about a group or maybe some help finding a group, there's a QR code. You can take a picture of that on the screen and you, and you will get a link that you can fill out and we will help you get into a group. Uh, Flourishing in relationships, thirdly, requires us to receive God's Love for others. Uh, Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. I want you to think about this. Before the world's foundation, before God made the world, what existed according to Jesus? (laughs) The love of the Father the Son. That's what Jesus says. Just think about that. What came before all of creation? What does all of creation come out of? What's at the center of the universe? The love between the Father and the Son. Just, Just think about that. Is that a good thing that this is the God who created everything that existed? That that before the foundation of the earth, there was this love between the Father and the Son. That's the story that Jesus is telling us is actually true. That's more true than some uh, analyzation of soil. I do not even think that was a word, but whatever. Analysis. Jeff, you can help me. Uh, that's reality as Jesus defines it. And next, think about this. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them how? (laughs) Just think about this. As you have loved me. So Jesus comes to reveal God's love, and I believe he ultimately does that in the cross. And he is specifically revealing that the Father loves us like he loves Jesus. Just think about that. How does God love us? Like He loves? How does He love the Son? How does the Father love the Son? Unconditionally? Constantly? Zealously? Is this a love that you earn because of how good of a person you are or how cool of a guy you are? How do we experience this love? Do you take it in some way like every religion says? You receive it. Now verse 26, I made your name known to them will continue to make it known so that listen, the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them so Jesus is praying his desire is that the love that the father has for the son which is the love that he has for us would be in us one of the passages that i have been most impacted by is paul's prayer in ephesians 3 he prays that these believers would have the ability to comprehend the incomprehensible love of god i love that prayer cuz he's saying the love that exists is beyond your comprehension. It's there. Do, you, do they see it? They don't see it. That's the problem. It's there, it exists, but they don't see it. And so Paul's praying that God would give them the ability to see more of it. And that, I believe, is in is, the band. Y'all can go ahead and come up and, and we're going to close out. If I tell you, I want you to be more loving to difficult people, how does that feel? I want you to be more loving to people who are difficult to love. It's hard, right? Is that motivating? You just need to to work harder and to be more loving and just pull this out of yourself. I don't think that works. I really don't. I think the way that it works is we come to see the actual love of God that is given to us, not because we've earned it, but by grace through faith. It's a gift that we simply receive. And the more we grow in seeing this, it will well up. If it doesn't, pray for it too. That's all I know to say. Paul, pray pray. God, give me a greater vision of your love for Jesus. Start there. God, give me a a greater understanding of the way you love Jesus. Start there. God, give me a greater understanding of the love that you have for the Son. And then from there, God, help me to believe that you love me with the same love that you have for the Son. God, help me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem possible. But help me to believe that you love me with the same love, the way that you love the Son. And then, (laughs) as an overflow of that, help me to share that love with others. Help me to share that love, not love that I concoct, but the love in the Spirit that you've given me. Help me to share that love with others. And, and this, is, this is this way. So we what we do is first we repent. We repent, and this is always our call. Because we know, man, there's a lot of ways we fail to rightly display the love that God's created us and called us to display for one another. So we acknowledge it in a lot of ways. This week, man, I see it blindingly. I fail to love other people the way God loves me. And I know it and I see it. And so I repent of that. And then I receive. I receive God's forgiveness. And I receive a new wisdom and understanding and revelation of the greatness of his love. Christ. And as I receive that, I go and I share that with the people around me. Father, we are overwhelmed. This this is truth that should cause fireworks to go off. This This is truth that just doesn't make sense. And yet it's from the mouth of Jesus. And so we choose to believe it. We thank you that you The creator of all existed for eternity in this love between the father and the son. We thank you that Jesus reveals this love to us to receive through faith. We pray that your spirit would enable us to to believe, to receive more of this love, that it would well up within us, so that we could then share it with one another. In order that, as Jesus said, we would have this unity and this oneness that would show the world that you really are the Son of God. So we pray that your spirit would give us this love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond in songs. So I invite you to stand as we sing, and I'll be in the prayer room and, and make prayer. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.